Welcome to a very special edition of The Final Cut. Uh, as always, it's me, Andrew Fantuccio, Ben Mamaritis, and Mr. Jason Snell, the man with the easiest name in the Zoom. But we're also joined by two very special guests. Uh, Ty Hawkins is joining us once again, uh, making another appearance here on The Final Call. And Desmond Sullivan is, making us, is joining us today. Uh, and this edition of Final Cut is... In light of the recent uh, Black Lives Matter protests that have been sweeping across the United States and the world, frankly, uh, in demonstration against police brutality. So I, I don't know where we want to start with this. You know, a little inside baseball for you listeners. Usually I, I write out and plan out a whole sort of list of questions and points and ideas for a final call. I don't have any of that for this. This is just, I want this to be, we want this to be an, an open and fluid conversation. So Really, anyone who wants to go first, uh, have at it. Anyone who wants to make, who wants to say anything about whether it be race in sports, race in America, let's just get into. It. Let's be open. Oof. I'm just curious to hear Ty's perception of um, of the protests going on in a sport that she plays and a sport that I'm assuming she loves. Uh, yeah. What's your reaction to both the NBA and the WNBA? Um. Honestly, I love it. You know, at the end of the day, um. They make millions of dollars, you know what I mean? They, they have everything, like, they could possibly want, like, in the world. But besides just being on, like, the court, like, they're, they're, black, they're black first, you know what I mean? Like, they're a person first besides, like, whatever, like, they do. And they have to live with that, you know, like, every day, you know? But with them, the difference is they get pulled over. Them being on TV, people know who they are. But what about, like, their families who, who aren't? you know, as open as them out there, what, what do they have to deal with? You know, um, you know, right now in times, like, it's really kind of sad that like, it's, it's kind of gotten like this, you know what I mean? Like we're all pretty like fed up and it's time to like take a stand, you know, like you have to stand for something or you fall for anything at the end of the day. And I just really think that the message that they're trying to get out there, you know, is worth it, you know, it's really worth it. And I'm, I'm really proud of all the athletes for, for taking a stand on that. No, it's really dope. Yeah. Ty, how do you, how do you feel about uh, the, the demonstrations, of the NBA and WNBA, those pouring over into sports like major league baseball, uh, as you've seen in soccer, I'm assuming we'll see, we'll see, we've seen some even in the NHL and I'll assume mm-hmm. we're, we're going to see more in the NFL. How do you, how do you feel about it pouring over into sports outside of the NBA and, and outside of basketball? I think, I think it's really dope. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, the, M- the best league in the world is the NBA. You know what I mean? So if the NBA does something, people are going to, like, follow it. You know what I mean? So just seeing, like, everyone kind of just coming together and realizing that it's just bigger than just, like, sports. Like, we're human first. Like, we're people first. That's really, you know, like, what this entire thing is, like, all about. And seeing them just standing up for something and just fighting it, and being like, now, nah, like, I don't want to play right now because there's bigger and deeper issues going on. That goes to show, like, how much people really do care, how much they are really listening to us, you know? So uh, I really – I do commend, like, the other, like, leagues, you know? Yeah. And something that, you know, I want to touch on with um, – is regards to the NBA, you know, with the Bucks sat out for the game and then, you know, soon after the rest of the league – all uh, boycotted the games and you know there were talks about the season potentially ending for the NBA and you know just in the middle of the playoffs just cutting the season short and 
you know, one of the players who was in the forefront of that was LeBron James. And, you know, Jason and I kind of talked about this, but a guy of LeBron's caliber, right, on a championship caliber team saying, you know what, the season in regards to what everything else is going on, this season really isn't that important. Because what really matters is what's going on with, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on. The playoffs are kind of, that's that's whatever. You know, the playoffs will be the playoffs. They'll be next season, right? But, you know, guys like, uh, you know, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, they don't get second chances, right? Yeah. So I think they're kind of, that was, that was a big that was a big statement from LeBron saying, you know what, I wasn't sure if the if the season was going to continue, and you know what, it doesn't matter because he was more concerned with you know solving these issues now, and you know I give him a lot of props for that. Yeah. And to respond to the question about it spilling into other sports and and things like that, I think it's a lot bigger than that for me. I think it should spill into other facets of other facets of life. Excuse me. You know, at school, at work giving, you know, people days off when it's, when it's needed, when, you know, giving them the support that they need emotionally to make it through difficult times and strive for equality. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, I think the biggest thing too is, is listening. Uh, instead of, you know, yes. bringing up your, your, your point or where, your perspective, whatever the case may be, I, I think the biggest thing is listening and, and providing support and providing empathy. Like I, I haven't been through, you know, everything that, you know, Jacob Blake has gone through. I haven't gone through whatever, you know, whatever everyone else has gone through, but I can kind of, you know, be there to emotionally support and, and empathize with people and to give them what they need. I think, you know, that's um, a, a big role in, in this movement. So I forgot to do this at the beginning of this, but uh, Desmond, you have been very active, not only in participating in Black Lives Matter protests, but you've also organized some of them on your own. So how, just tell us about that. Tell us about what you've seen, what, you know, from people who participated, what people told you, uh, counter protests. Just tell, tell us what, anything that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, I definitely did a lot of protesting in Boston, um, which I, I wanted to sort of take that energy and take those those speakers and bring that to the South shore where I live. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I helped start the BLM situate, um, and we organize protests. We have a, a weekly protest, um, in situate. And I think it's really important for people on the South shore and more affluent communities to also engage in this and to, um, to just be a part of, the general movement, but to really take on the racism that's very deep rooted in these communities um, and sort of root out the, the, um, the more conservative views, but just sort of, I mean, this is in many ways, this is a political issue, but in many ways, it's also just a human issue. And, yeah. you know, just having that basic compassion, that basic empathy for human lives um, is something that I, I, I genuinely think can be felt across all spectrums. Uh, whether you're on the left or the right, um, I, I really think this is a time to come together, which unfortunately isn't what we're seeing, um, both in situate but on a national level. Um, you know, even the last few days with the our federal government has been sort of unwilling to mend the divide, heal the divide. But um, yeah, just there's a lot of support. There's also a lot of opposition. You know, when we put on a 
Black Lives Matter rally, Black Lives Matter protest um, in the South Shore, like in Hingham, we are met with a back the blue rally to, you know, try and counter that. And there's a lot of racism there and there's a lot of bigotry there. Um, and they're doing it in the name of protecting police who maybe they're family members or friends, but now is certainly not the time to be backing up the police departments, the police departments in this country, along with many other um, uh, institutions in this country should be under severe, you know, scrutiny. And we really need to take a look at what they're actually doing, what their policies are, what their budgets are. Um, and that needs to happen at every town at every level across the country. So, yeah, that's where I've been on it. I, I have a quick question for you, Desmond. And uh, um, I, it's just right. I don't want to, I want to be sensitive when asking this question, but when you're organizing these rallies and you're kind of on the front lines of it and we see, you know, on social media, at least in, you know, recent months, we've seen like there have been a lot of chaos at these rallies at, at the opposition. And, you know, you kind of went through that. Were you ever kind of intimidated or like afraid of what possibly could go wrong and the potential of, you know, the opposition or what the case may be or the backlash or, you know, did you ever consider that when going through? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've received a lot of death threats. Um, people, whether that's through social media, whether that's through sort of sketchy text messages, whether that's through just people on the street sort of recognizing you and saying something aggressive to you. Um, but, you know, we, we, we relay that message to the people who are attending these protests. We tell them that we've received death threats, you know, come at your own risk. I, yeah, I'm scared to a point. I'm upset to a degree, but what do black people have to face in this country? What, what fear do they have to go through to, to, um, to deal with whether it's the police or just other institutions in this country? Um, so I think it's just the least I could do is just sort of overcome that fear and just continuing to fight for a cause that is just. Yeah, Definitely. What has the turnout been like at the at your protests, and especially considering you know, with coronavirus still raging through the country and uh, uh, positive case totals going continue to skyrocket? Uh, has has there been a lot of turnout, or how have people been handling you know the safety, you know, social distancing, mask? How how's that been? Yeah, so by and large, everybody I'd say the like ninety nine percent of the people who go to these things are are wearing masks, which is good, and everybody uh keeps social distance, which is also good um, I think that um sorry, I lost my train of thought uh it's fine, I do that all the time <laughs> thanks <laughs> um he does no I'm just kidding. could you <laughs> repeat the question because there was another part besides um the social distancing and masks. You know what I mean? What was the other part to it? No, I think that was, that was just about it. Just like how, how have people been handling it? And Oh, and how has that, has that affected the turnout? Oh, the turnout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So people are wearing masks, which is good. People are keeping social distance, which is good. Uh, the turnout is, has been dwindling. Um, I think that's common across the country, which is something that organizers and other groups are just sort of trying to change and really, reinvigorate everything because um the first few weeks after the killing of george floyd um there was 
lots of huge numbers, whether that's in the South Shore or across the country. In the South Shore, we had 200, 300 people showing up to different events. Wow. Um, more recently, for big events where we have speakers, it's probably like 50 people. Um, and those numbers just continue to decline. It's understandable. Um, it's, I, I wish that more people were, um, I guess, more committed but we're all doing what we can. And, you know, I, I think certainly leading up to this election, um, there's going to be more, uh, there's going to be more protests to come. And I think more people are going to get involved again. So um, it might be discouraging now, but I'm hopeful for the future that it, it, those numbers will start to come back. So you brought up a very good point about the election. So I guess my question to you and to Ty and to Andrew and Jason as well, how important is it for not only young people, but people in general to register to vote and to be involved in, you know, local elections, national elections and so forth, especially this upcoming November? I mean, I'll let Ty speak on it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Um, you know, I just, it's just very important like, you know what I mean? Like now more than ever, like we see how important it is to be knowledgeable and just to every vote matters, you know, rather yep. you believe it or not, like your voice matters, you know, regardless of whatever you do, you know, like you have to be able to, like I said before, stand up for what you believe in and know that your one vote or your one belief can make a difference in somebody else's one vote and like one belief. So I just think as young people, we need to stay educated, stay on our toes and just keep fighting for what we believe is just right, you know, and hopefully change will come from that. You know, do I think that things would be like this, like forever? I hope not, but people need to be knowledgeable. People need to do their research. People need to have uncomfortable conversations and to really learn and to really understand like why things are the way it is and how we can change it. You know, it, it's not going to be like a, a overnight thing. It's going to take time. But as long as you know you're putting in like the work and like the effort to really make a change, then I do think like it'll all be worth it, you know, in the end. Yeah, I'm, the, the reality that we have in this country is whether, whether you hold up signs, whether you go to your, your town hall, whether you uh, participate on social media, whatever you do, the only thing that you are guaranteed in this country is a vote. The yeah. only thing that you have in this democratic system is a vote. That is when you can change things. That is when you can move around your elected officials who will put in place this legislation, these policies that we want so badly to change. They can do it now and we can attempt to force them to do it now, but that vote is guaranteed for every citizen. Yeah. Unfortunately, many times not in black communities when you simply put people in the prison pipeline and incarcerate people and take away their vote. Um, and there are other, obviously we see voter suppression across the country because uh, generally the Republican party and conservatives are in general are very nervous of the mass population having the right to vote because the power is with the people and not with the wealthy. So um, mm -hmm. when you engage in the democratic process, so it's just so, so important for everybody to get out there and vote. Um, it's yeah, like Ty said, stay educated and just just get everybody possible, every citizen possible to get out there and cast a vote. Yeah.
an interesting, you know, facet or, um, yeah, facet of, of what you guys are talking about to me is education. And I think that that is so important in, in this whole process because it starts young, really does. Um, what can education systems, what can schools, what can we do as a society do to help uh, educate young children about this? Because for me, I remember, you know, really in elementary school, the only thing I really learned about this type of topic was uh, Martin Luther King and, and, and his efforts during the civil rights uh, uh, movement in the 1960s. And, you know, you, you just sort of, you understood what he, uh, what he stood for, what he was fighting against, but it was most, you got a sugar-coated version of it. Uh, what, what, can, what can we do? And, and this is open to all four of you guys. What do you think we can do to collectively to help educate, you know, the younger generations and the generations coming after that? I mean, um, um, it's a loaded question, I know, so you need yeah. time to think about it. That's okay. Go ahead, Ty. Mm. You know, for me, like, growing up, I really didn't understand, like, a lot of this stuff. You know what I mean? So my first real, like, experience, like, realizing that, like, this may be a problem was when I was about, like, 12. And I think around that time, like, that was when Trayvon Martin, you know, brutally, you know, got murdered. So that for me was like my first real taste of like, is this like what life is really like for us? You know what I mean? And I feel like in school, like they don't want to touch on these topics because it's very sensitive, but these are the types of conversations kids need to start having, you know, this is the type of thing that we need to instill in kids from like a young age. And even as like adults, conversations that we still need to be having like right now in time, you know, my, my biggest thing with this entire thing is like, if you don't, if you're a decent human being, if you don't see that there's a problem going on, you are really a part of the problem. <laughs> like, there's no, like, if, ands, like, ways, buts, like, about it. You know, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. It's a, it's a weird thing. Yeah, I'm always just uh, in awe of people who just sort of can't wrap their head around it or have a basic lack of, of human compassion for this. Um, yeah for the victims of police brutality and just the victims of oppression across this country. Um, as it comes to our education systems, I would, we need to teach history differently in this country. We just do. Yes. That's the reality of the situation, whether it's yeah. elementary school, middle school, high school, college level, I shouldn't be learning about the enslavement of the Taino people in the Island of Hispaniola when Christopher Columbus came here in way back in the 1400s, I shouldn't be learning that he's attempting to enslave people in my first semester at college. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's the moment when I learned that in the history textbooks, they left out the next, um, the next line of Christopher Columbus's diary is they'd make good slaves, right? That's left out of the history textbooks for the kids. And that's what needs to be changed. That's just one instance. But so what, mean, what, yeah. you're, what you're trying to clarify is that should be taught earlier on. Right. Yes, should, absolutely. Okay, I, just want, I just want to clarify. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, I know I sort of went on and said, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But my point was I shouldn't have to learn about that in right in my first semester at college. Mm -hmm. yeah. That, that sort of thing should be taught in elementary school. Um, you know, the institution of slavery in this country it's not black history. It's not only for February. It's United States history. 
Yep. That's that's the legacy that that the United States has to deal with and that I think our children have to deal with. Um, and the sooner that kids are sort of able to wrap their head around that and comes to come to terms with it, uh, the sooner positive change can come from the next generation. Yeah. And when I when I think of, you know, you, that's an excellent point, how history needs to be taught differently. And when I think of that, I think of in high school. I learned about how in, you know, the early, late 60s, early 70s in Boston, they had the whole, um, they had the segregated buses, right? Where, you know, uh, the, the black people from a, you know, a less a poor community were taking the buses that uh, the white kids were supposed to be taking. And this, you know, the citizens of Boston were, you know, violent protests left and right. People were getting beaten up just because, you know, black kids were on the same buses as white kids. That was it. I didn't learn about this until high school. And then, you know, go back uh, 15 or so years from that incident uh, after World War II or during World War II and then after World War II, the Japanese internment with FDR. I didn't learn about that until high school either because after Pearl Harbor happened, they basically set up concentration camps for Japanese Americans and they were forced to live in these camps until, you know, a time deemed fit. And, you know, these are things that I had no idea about until I was, you know, much older, but, you know, these are things that, you know, important pieces of American history that really just kind of get glossed over in the history books. And I think there needs to be kind of a, a brighter light being shined on those things. And, you know, America, you know, America isn't perfect. It's, it's not a perfect country, but it's not too late. Definitely. In addition to that, I, I agree that those changes need to be made. And I would extend it even more to less so of an education standpoint, but of, of a corporate standpoint. I, I've heard a lot of stories and anecdotes about, you know, people of color having to, you know, quote unquote, and this is, I just read this, but quote unquote, whitening their resume so that they get more of a shot, yeah. you know, tweaking yeah. their name so that they get a better shot. That just shouldn't happen. That shouldn't need to occur. It, it bothers me and that's, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I really don't know how that, that can go on with an uproar, but it, it bothers me how people have to kind of change their identity and change their background instead of just being accepted for who they are. I don't know if you guys have a, have a perspective about that. Yeah. I mean, go ahead, Andrew. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that, but that sort of, you know, that, I don't want to call it a practice, but that strategy to sort of fit in, among for black people it's something they've been dealing with their entire lives like you know uh i'm going to turn this back to sports i I was reading a quote from Giannis antetokounmpo of the bucks who said when he first got drafted out of greece to come play here in america one of the first lessons he learned was to not walk down the street with his hood up yeah and you know for me as a a white person like that's never like what's the big deal there right I, I, I don't ever have to think about that, but just for something for a black person or any, you know, anyone of color, you know, just, they, they can't look them, make themselves look like any kind of a threat, even when they, they, they know they're not, yeah. you know what I mean? But they're automatically looked at 
as you know a threat or uneducated or and you know any of those sort of negative connotations like that just because of the color of their skin and that's just not that's not okay that's not what this country's about yeah and i i think it's just really sad that people have to you know people of color aren't allowed to be who they truly are and have any sort of real self-identity because their identity is what the system wants them to be yeah and I'll tie, uh, if you if you want to speak on that, you can. No one's you know forcing you, but maybe you could speak a little bit more to that. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, feeling like we have to conform to be certain ways to 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 make you know the white community like comfortable has been something that we've been dealing with you know for a very 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 long time. You know, um, I don't feel like that my skin color should determine <laughs> if I get to live or die. <laughs> you know, like every day, like when I walk outside my house, like I shouldn't be afraid that when I go into a predominantly like white neighborhood, like in my hometown, that I have to fear that someone's going to follow me and it's going to end up pretty bad. You know, I shouldn't have to feel like that I have to put on a facade just to make other people comfortable with me. Like I have to be me, you know, I didn't wake up one day and choose to be black. I didn't, I didn't, this was just like the cars that I've been dealt with at the end of the day and to kind of always feel like I have to bow down to them or, or just feel like I'm not good enough. I don't really like that. I don't, that's something for me that's been bothering me my entire life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, in terms of, I think Ty, you just made a great point there. Like you didn't choose to look the way that you do or be the way you do or, or be the way you are. Um, You know, and that's why I think that that's sort of what gets lost in the message and not that maybe not lost, but just completely, you know, uh, disregarded and, and ignored. But for people, you know, counter protesters against Black Lives Matter, we'll take the Blue Lives Matter, you know, back the blue supporters. It's not that people are saying that only Black Lives Matter. It's that mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, too. The two should be implied. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think I think that's what gets that's what really gets lost, and that it's not a choice. You guys aren't doing this because you just woke up one day and feel like it. You, it, this has been bubbling and brewing for four hundred years in this country, and, and and across the world, you know, going even further back, and, you know, like you know, police and you know, I I I I personally believe you know, you know, Black Lives do matter, you know, and not all you know, police are bad. There are really good cops. I met and I, I work not person. I'm not a cop, but you know, at my work, there's a, uh, you know, we have, we have police detail there every night. Uh, and the, the, some of the nicest guys I know. So not all, you know, cops are bad, but the point is what I'm trying to make is that these people chose to be cops, right? Yes. They signed up for that. They, they and they can take the uniform off. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a cop when he's off duty and he doesn't he's not have he doesn't have the bad uniform on, I don't know that he or she's a cop, but for someone like Ty and other black people, they can't stop being black. It's who they are. And I think that's sort of what yeah. gets lost. And I and I want to sort of segue that into sort of like about, you know, misinformation, uh, you know, stuff getting lost in translation between the two sides. Is there stuff that how do you feel about that between just in terms of conversation between people on the other side uh, in, in the media, uh, how do you feel just about the misinformation 
and that's you know an open question to everybody honestly you said it you said it best like like I said before, like, I didn't choose this. You know what I mean? Like, I get to take this off, my pants off, you know, and put something else on, you know? But I can't take away the fact that I'm always going to be black. <laughs> like, I can't take that away from me. And at the end of the day, they take their uniforms off. It's not, it's not the same thing, and it'll never be the same thing, you know? LeBron James said it best, like, the other day, right? He, he said something along the lines of – um. If that cop had a bad day, they got in an argument with their wife, um, he might be in a bad mood. Kids yell at them, he might be in a bad mood. Why should – I just feel like one thing that cops do, which I don't like, is they like to play God. You know, they like to roam the earth and play God and pick and choose, like, when I'm going to live or when I'm going to die. Like, my skin color shouldn't be a threat to anyone. You know what I mean? I shouldn't always have to feel like, that's that's gonna make me see my mom the next day or not like for most people you know these at the end of the day the cars i've been dealt with and i'm a human being just like you guys here and i would like to be treated as one and the community would like to be treated as one as well yeah ty you said that you can't take your identity off necessarily my response to that is you shouldn't feel the need to <laughs> you yeah should, you should be you should embrace who you are, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable in your own skin. And I think that's a, that's a major defect of this country right now. And it, I, I think it's a lot of things, like it's something that a lot of people take for granted is the ability to just go outside and they're in there to be themselves and to not feel the target on their back. That yeah. it's something that I'm going to be honest, I've taken for granted for years and I've, never necessarily felt like I've had a target on my back. Um, but, you know, as you see, you know, these, these, um, these terrible tragedies go on throughout the, the country. It's like, it's been like an unsung trait of, of those people. And it's, it's unfortunate. And I'm just trying to be as empathetic as possible, but you shouldn't have to feel the need to, to take anything off. Just it, we have a long way to go to get till you probably until you feel comfortable, but it's just unfortunate that that's where we are now. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I I think Andrew touched on it earlier a little bit. Um, I, I think a lot of these problems and a lot of these issues can be remedied, A, by education, um, B, by having compassion, just what we're talking about and having understanding, but C, having equity in these communities. Malcolm X spoke about not just equality, but equity, meaning that there's wealth distributed to these communities and, and black people start to actually uh, have more of a, a monetary, uh, more of a monetary foothold in our economy. You know, Boston yeah. is, Boston is one of the most, I think is the most as of 2018, one of the most uh, wealth disparaged countries in the United States. I mean, Back Bay is just miles off from a, a 10 minute drive down the road to whether it's Dorchester or Mattapan or Roxbury. Um, you know, this is, this is a problem that is really plaguing uh, communities in the city, um, but also communities, um, even small pockets and suburbs and things of that nature. So if we had more policies in place for, um, for black advancement, whether that's in a corporate life or uh, 
government positions, whatever, um, that would, I think, help a lot of these problems. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to get my history wrong here and I'm probably going to, but, you know, African-Americans were given the right to vote. When was it? I, I, I'm sorry. I, this is going back years and, 1860, I want to say like 1863, but I could be wrong. Because the, the Emancipation Proclamation was 1863. And it was probably shortly after that. Yeah, so the passage of the 13th Amendment, I'm looking it up right now, was in 1865, okay. uh, which abolished slavery. I'm not sure if it gave them the right to vote at that time. Um I think that might have even come later with the Voting Rights Act of um Cuz I, I know women got I know women were given suffrage in 1920. Yep. I'm trying to remember when when was it for African Americans. But anyways, my point being where I was going with this is that whenever it was, right? They were given the right to vote, but then it was only, you know, you have uh you had to be grandfathered in. Like you could only vote if your grandfather was able to vote. But right. at the time that was there was no chance that, that happened because almost every African American's grandfather was a slave, you know, at the time. Uh, so, but there's always sort of been like you can vote, but there here's the catch, or you know, only for this. And there's always been sort of these little like obstacles in the way for black people voice to really sort of be heard at its full volume and full capacity, and we're you know black people are still having issues getting to the polls with, you know, whether it be, uh, I, I want to make sure I word all this correctly, but, you know, gerrymandering, you know, rigging districts so that, you know, it's sort of like it, w when district lines are drawn in some community, it, you look at like, what did, like who drew this a five-year-old for, mm -hmm. for, for these voting districts and uh, voting centers are, you know, sometimes, you know, the lines there go, you know, last, you know, well past polls were supposed to close. They go, you know, from, you know, until like, you know, to the wee hours in the morning. So it's like, even when after black people were given, even there's that basic human right, right. There were still more obstacles put in the way to deter them from voting, whether it be fear tactics or rigging the system in order to make it harder on them. And that's what we're seeing now with sort of you know, income inequality. Yeah. I, um, I, The, the powers that be the wealthy um, will always attempt to discourage voter participation at every level, but especially discourage um, cooperation between white people and black people in these communities, right? It's that old thing of divide and conquer, basically, mm -hmm. is let's pit one group of people against another group of people for the benefit of the 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 leading population the whether that's the wealthy or the people who are in charge of the government whatever um but the second that people actually start to unify which is what we're seeing across the country in certain pockets of the community in others there's a lot of opposition but in many ways we're unifying that's when the system really begins to get nervous and that's when the system really starts to um openly oppose these actions right legitimizing a 17 year old shooting two people well, three people and killing two people and getting away with it and walking yeah. away, you know, yep. I mean, that's sort of where we're at. These systems of oppression are so entrenched in our society 
and in our government that um, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of energy to overturn that. But it all starts with just a basic respect for the black experience in this country. It starts with a basic respect for black identity in this country. And then from there, you build a more equitable and just society. Uh, quick question for uh, mostly Desmond, but anyone else can chime in, chime in if they want. Um, I know it's a, it's a tall task to ask people like in their mid sixties, early seventies, you know, older, you know, later in life to, excuse me, to change their ways and to change their, their philosophy and their, their perspective. But do you think that the work we're putting in now and the efforts that are getting put forth now are, you know, getting the trajectory of, of where we're going in the right direction or like, do you see the progress of this actually paying off or, you know? I mean, maybe not immediately right now. You say you're really challenging of people who are 60, 70, 80 um, in a lot of respects. Um, and it's unfortunate because you're not trying to attack their identity. You're trying to attack their belief systems and you're trying to make them realize that you don't necessarily have to think that way. And that's not necessarily the reality. But so the change might not happen in this election cycle, might not happen over the next four years, but certainly we are definitely absolutely laying the foundation among the younger generation right now. I think that we have come leaps and bounds from our parents, um, from our grandparents. I think that there's, uh, and I honestly think a lot of that is because of social media. Um, I, I think that a, a lot of us kids are pretty fed up with our systems um, and fed up with this. I've, if you're a black person in this country, I can't imagine the, the frustration and anger that must be felt um, as a result of policing or um, just other systems. But I think that the younger generation certainly will, will adopt this mentality, which is let's listen, let's talk things out and let's have respect. Um, and with that, I think over the next 20, 30 years, you'll, you'll see a big ideological shift in the United States and a shift in the population. I think it's wishful thinking to change the elderly population right now. It could happen, but I definitely see this work really being impactful decades down the line. Yeah, I definitely think that social media plays a huge part because of how fast uh, information is distributed and how easily information is accessible now, especially to young people where, you know, back in the day, it was just newspapers, right? And then it progressed to TV. Now it's, you know, it's everyone has it on their phones, you know, and, and everyone is seeing the atrocities that's going on. And, you know, it, it's something that needs to be fixed. And to kind of kind of bring this back to uh, sports, you know, you go back to 2016, Colin Kaepernick, right? He kneels for the anthem, huge uproar, right, right? And <clears throat> I had friends, you know, in the military at the time who said, you know, they were wicked against it because, you know, they're, you should always stand for the flag. That's what they were saying. And, you know, Kaepernick was ostracized, you know, can't find a job in the NFL now. Um you know, it's, it's like he kind of got uh, thrown to the side by the league, you know, because of what he believed in. And fast forward now to 2020, it's like, I th you know, the NFL kind of owes Kaepernick an apology, right? Because now everyone's doing that. Every, every, you look at the NBA, no one's standing for the anthem. 
right? And my question to, you know, everyone here is, you know, how important was the Kaepernick thing and how it affects, you know, how people are viewing the whole, like, standing for the anthem, kneeling for the anthem, what does it really mean? And, like, you know, kind of what what is your take on that? Yeah, I I kind of have a layered answer here, so I'm sorry if I if I take a minute or two. Um, but when the Kaepernick thing all unfolded, he was talking about police brutality, obviously, but a lot of people responded to it as if, oh, I got a brother fighting in you know Afghanistan. We have you know people fighting overseas. Disrespectful, disrespectful. You know, I, I have a you know a bone spur in my ankle, and I I can still stand for the song. Like you weren't listening. He wasn't even talking about that stuff. That that that. For me, it's the biggest thing, just listening. And you can have a different, you can have a differing, you know, opinion as to Colin Kaepernick, but to just shoot him down as if he wasn't even like talking at all and to just like shoot him down and to criticize him and to kind of, he wasn't blackballed out of the league because he wasn't, you know, as great as a player later in his career, but to just label him as, as a disrespectful guy just for having an an opinion about, you know, police brutality, I think, I think was wrong. Um, and I'm sorry. I, that was the first part of my answer, but if anyone else, oh, wants, to, if, okay. if anyone else wants to come in, I just forgot my train of thought on the second part. If we want to talk, you know, just Colin Kaepernick, I think when that first happened, I was a junior in high school. And I remember talking about it in class with a, in like a current events class. And there, there were some kids who, we, we sort of got a spectrum of answers, you know, it was, you know, it's disrespectful or, you know, he should do it. I, I, I sort of fell in the middle because I, I really didn't know what to think. I was young and uneducated at the time. I didn't know much about it. And, and I, I, I'm from Braintree and that's a, you know, a historically uh, white Irish uh, conservative town. Um, my, in my school reflected that. I think we had a total of maybe like, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to over overstate or understate, but I want to say you could probably count the amount of black kids I had in my graduating class on on my on my hands. Like it wasn't much more than ten. Um, but I, I do remember one girl who was very very vocal about this, uh, and especially about Colin Kaepernick. And you know, me being a sports guy, uh. I, I sort of picked the fight. Like, you know, she said, Colin Kaepernick was kicked out of the league because he kneeled for the flag. It's like, no, I had nothing to do with the, with the kneeling is because he, you know, he would have, he was bad later on in his career. He didn't live up to his, you know, what people thought he was. He's not Russell Wilson. I, I took the, the pure sports yeah. angle at it, but I realized like, no, it's, that's not what it is. The it's, you know, I, I think what, what I'm saying, and what I think it is for a lot of people, people have to let go of what, of their previous conceptions and realize this runs much deeper than just sports. This runs deeper than just, you know, what's going on overseas. This is again, 400 years of oppression and, you know, centuries and centuries of black people being brutalized by uh, those, by the powers that be and having their message twisted and turned into something that's hateful and something that's disrespectful into something that's no, it's not, it's really doing what the most American thing, which is fighting for their rights and, you know, protesting for him. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, that entire thing happened, what, like four years ago, right? Yeah, 2016. 2016, 17 Yep. So it goes to show you, like, 
where we were four years ago and where we are like right now, you know, he, he really took a stand in what he believed in and he lost his job. He sacrificed his life, his livelihood just for one cause and for standing up for us, you know, and you know, everyone's always like, he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done this. He shouldn't have done that. But at the end of the day, like until someone gives us like a proper answer of what we should do to, to be heard so we can be seen, then I don't really want to hear it. You know, I don't want to hear, Oh, we shouldn't be doing this. Oh, we shouldn't be that. Then okay. Give me, give us something that we should do for people to listen. Yeah. But anything that we do, people are mad. People are mad that we're standing up for what we believe in. People are mad that we won't let people treat us any type of way. People are mad that we won't be silent. So it just goes to show like how four years ago we were there and here we are in 2020, nothing really has kind of changed. You know, we, we are still in that same thing that we were in four years ago. So not, not to argue with you, Ty, but I, I would say a lot has changed just in terms of the response yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, of course, four, yeah. Four years ago, no one was really sort of backing Colin Kaepernick. I mean, you yeah. had Eric Reed, some of his teammates, and it swept across the NFL, but it, it didn't pour over into other sports like it has now. You didn't see Major League Baseball yeah. and the National Hockey League doing the, the, the demonstrations they're doing. NBA, um, too. No, no one was NBA, kneeling. Yeah. The, the NBA was yeah. still kneeling. I think the NBA saw players kneeling. Don't quote I think me. They were, I think they were locking arms. I don't know if they were kneeling, though. I don't think yeah. they okay. started. Okay. But, like, we, we haven't seen the outpour of support. Like, I, I don't think a ton of people really took to the streets uh, like, we, like we've seen recently. You know, yeah. I, 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 forgive me. I forget the, man, the man's name in Baltimore uh, back in 2015 that sparked the Baltimore riots. Mike Brown? No, that that was I know that was Ferguson. I'm so sorry for this. I forget oh, the yeah. man's name. Eric Gardner? He might have been New York. That was probably but that was, was New York. But but there were but there was some there was someone in Baltimore who was uh basically assaulted. A black man in Baltimore was assaulted by um uh, by a group of uh of Baltimore police officers and he was brutally assaulted. Um, and that sparked the Baltimore riots back in 2015, where it, it basically shut down the entire city. Yep. It really yeah. did. You know, I, I mean, I remember the Orioles and the White Sox played a game yep. during it, and there was no one in the stands. They didn't, they didn't let anyone anyone go. And, who, and like, here we are four years later, and we still don't have people in the stands. Um, but I, I think a key difference now, and I, I, I hate that this is the truth, but, you know, at the time then, you know, it was really only, you know, african-americans and black people really taking the streets and protesting and showing their anger i think we've started to see sort of that turn in white americans and in more affluent communities people sort of seeing that oh this is much more than just you know one black guy was beaten up by police this is this happens every day day in and day out stuff like that so it, it, that's where the change is, is starting yeah is what you're starting to see i think that's yeah. an important distinction to make you had said earlier that like we're not seeing you know, people didn't necessarily back Colin Kaepernick. The people who were backing Colin Kaepernick in 2016 were people in the black community, right? And I can't speak with 100% certainty on that. Ty could perhaps back me up on that. But the real change that we're seeing now is just like what you said, Andrew, which is large and mass white people taking a stand in a 
agreeing with what he's doing rather than succumbing to this idea that it's disrespectful, right, mm-hmm. to military people, to whoever. Um, when reality, when in reality, that's one of the most patriotic things that you could do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hate to say that this is the truth now, but if, if we want to sort of like just sort of state the obvious, the Black Lives Matter movement wouldn't have taken off as it has now without white people. And I, I hate to say that because it's, it's, it's a movement that we all should have been more attuned to and more, you know, willing to back at the time when it first started back, you know, uh, after Mike Brown in, in Ferguson. But what I'm, I want to ask is, how do we get it to the point where, you know, black people and African-American people and, and minorities and people of color don't need sort of the backing of white people to make their point, to get it across? Like when, when do we start to see that change where a, a black person's voice is heard just as loudly as a white person's without the help of a white person? You, you got what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that all starts with just posi- people in different positions of power is getting black people in positions of power in this country, whether that's... Yep corporations whether that's through government whether that's through anything that's when things start to be taken legitimately that's when when that's when people are started start uh, to be taken seriously in this country um because until then they're just i mean the powers that be will oppress as much as possible yeah kind of started better myself and that that's probably inspiring because you know you hear a lot of um, stories about, I know Chris Weber went on the air, I'm just going to talk sports because that's what's closest to me. Um, I heard a story the other day by Chris Weber who was on TV giving a monologue and he was like, you know, Charles Barkley came to my school when I was in elementary school. And I, he was like, he was there. Like, it probably wasn't as inspiring to everyone else, but to me, seeing him there gave me hope that there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. There is something to look forward to. There is, you know, a promise in life and to see, you know, granted Charles Barkley wasn't in, you know, a, a leadership position in terms of politics or things like that, but, but Jason, he was still in a point of power, exactly, right? That's, that's exactly. Yeah. And that can kind of translate to people in other industries and other people dreaming of, of going different avenues and things like that. That spoke to, to Chris Weber as a young child that can also translate to people, you know, Barack Obama is another example. Do you know how many people, yes. that, you know, growing up that, I don't know how, you know, I don't know if people necessarily say, oh, I want to be president when I grow up anymore. But, you know, back then, do you know how many people, like, that wide array of people were probably inspired by the impact he's, he's had during his eight years? Yeah. I've got a quick anecdote, if anybody's up for it. Yes. Fire away. Yeah. Fire so away. I... My school was very small that I went to, my high school, the South Shore Charter Public School in Norwell. And, um, the, but the students were very involved in, in school governance, or they were allowed to at least, and I sort of took that opportunity to be, be a part of that. Um, and one day I was on some board or I was with you know some group, and I can't remember what it was exactly, but we were talking about hiring, and we, somebody had said, that we hired this music teacher and I'm a drummer and I love this music teacher, Theron, and he's still at the school uh, and he's an awesome guy and he's black. He's from, um, oh, he's from St. Thomas actually. Um, and he came to the United States and he went to Berkeley. He's just this brilliant saxophone player. Um, anyway, 
I had said, so wait a second. You, you are actively recruiting him because he was black. Why is that? Why would you not just have the same application standards as a white person? And this, again, I think Andrew might have spoken on. This is me speaking out of ignorance as a younger person. This is when I wasn't educated on this. But this really changed my perspective on any, everything. The principal said, it means so much to have somebody who has the same skin color as you to motivate you to feel like you're represented in your communities, right? If you're a black person going to Situate High in my town, you have zero representation. You have zero representation among the teaching staff for somebody who looks like you. For a young child to have somebody who looks like them to be a positive role model in their lives, that goes a long way. And that's, uh, that's why having representation of black people in all avenues of life is, is so important because that's when the real change starts to take place. And yeah, yeah. and that's also, that's also, you know, that also speaks to everything is an opportunity to learn. And while what I said was racist and ignorant and bigoted, I'm, I'm, I'm a changed person. Um, We all have an opportunity to change. We all can come to terms with our past, understand what we did was wrong, understand our way of thinking was wrong, but then move forward with that and create positive change. Absolutely. There's, there's kind of a, a balance beam there of, you know, nowadays we expect perfection out of people and, and granted it's, it's tough to kind of go through the change, but at the same time, you can't expect change and perfection to coexist. You know, like you said, uh, Desmond, that, that experience changed you forever. And that granted those saying that wasn't, you know, the most compassionate thing ever, but you know, we have to, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know how to, you know, articulate it. I, I, I think, I think what I, I can I sort of expand because I think I got yes. it. I think what Jason's trying to say, and this was something I was trying to figure out how to say it myself in my head, but Jason, you sort of got the ball rolling was like, we have to be more understanding that, you know, some people are going to be later to the party than others, but that means we shouldn't discourage them from the party. Like, Desmond, I wouldn't say what you said was racist. I wouldn't say what you said was bigoted or yeah. hateful. It was just it was just misinformed. You didn't understand at the time. And I think that's yeah. what I, I think, you know, it's, I, I, an issue that there has been with some people who get involved in the Black Lives Matter movement and want to help, and that's great, but don't turn people away and, t- and call them racist and bigoted and hateful because that's not where it's coming from for them. For them, they feel like they're, I think, I, I don't want to say this like I am with this pe- you know, but I, I've, I've spoken with some. There's some people that I know who are on the other side of the fence, who, are, but they're not coming from a, a place of hate. They're coming from a place of defense. Yeah. Everything yes. they know is sort of being attacked and changed and questioned, and that's sort of all they've ever known their entire lives. So it's hard for them to wrap their heads around it. So instead of you know shunning them and saying you know you should be ashamed and you know fired or you lose everything you have because you said one or two hateful comments. That's not the answer because you're only driving more people away. I think it should be about, okay, let's, let's examine what you just said. Let me tell you why it's wrong. And here's how you can say it a better way. Here's how you can say it. So it's not, it didn't come off because I don't think these people are trying to, I don't think a majority of these people are trying to be hateful or trying to hurt anyone. They're just trying to defend their own perspective. Yeah. You know, is, is that what you're trying to say, Jason? 
to a T. And I, I think Drew Brees might be the biggest example of that in sports. Good example. Again, great, great example. Great example. Said something that you know wasn't exactly compassionate, but I'm going to assume that's all he knew. So you know, his teammate Malcolm Jenkins came along and was exposed him on social media. I'm going to be honest; he could have had a private conversation, but he he kind of blasted him on social media. They had an honest conversation with each other and said, "All right, this is where I'm coming from. This is where I'm coming from." And, and Drew Brees is, I want to say, now a changed man. So he, he's more educated now. Yep. He understands, and I think that's we talked about education earlier in you know elementary school and things like that. That's a, that's another facet of education right there. Is just listening, be not having your guard up necessarily, not being defensive, but to hear other people out and to, you know, accept them for kind of the clunky things that they may say at times, but not take those things as acceptable necessarily, but to say, okay, this is where you can improve. We're not going to fire you. We're not going to blackball you. We're not going to, you know, like you said, Andrew, be accepting and be, and be, be willing to, you know, m- mistakes happen every day. We all make mistakes. Not not everything we can all say com- comes out perfectly. It's going to be mis- misinterpreted. It's going to be uh, just nothing. nothing's perfect. We live in an imperfect society. So instead of trying to eradicate imperfection, let's accept the imperfection and collectively work slowly to get to perfection. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think Drew Brees was a great example. You know, after he said that, you know, after he made the comments about, you know, I would always, you know, stand for the flag. That's he didn't mean, you know, Black Lives Matter is, you know, is is a bad organization or it's a bad movement or that, you know, he doesn't believe in it. That's not at all what he was saying. But people took it that way, and you had people chanting in the streets of New Orleans, you know, pardon my friendship, but fuck Drew Brees. That's not the answer there because you're then you're driving away. People who who want to help, they just need help. They need help themselves getting there. Yeah, I think it's a fine line to walk. Um, you need to push back at certain points. That's that's a necessary step in these things. Um, but at the same time, you definitely don't want to completely alienate a person for life, right? If if you right. just fill their heart with hate and indignance exactly. and indifference to the point where they'll never be willing to go, then you've failed in your mission in many ways. Um, But when it comes to chanting, when like putting pressure on a public figure to change their ways and to change their perception and change their morals, I think does have a a valid and important place in our society. Um, And I think that that's a necessary step in trying to make that change. I I'm sure you might have a different take on that. Um, You know, anybody can feel free to jump in or oppose that, but that's where I'm at with it. No, I, I t- Desmond, I see your point there, and, and frankly, it's it's a really good one because, you know, I, it's a, it's a gray area. If what what was Drew Brees really trying to say there? I I don't think he really meant like I hate black people and all that. I mean, that's not what he was saying. He was just saying his perspective, but he didn't understand why at the time that was not the right thing to say. You mean so? And you you got him to come over to the other side, but people. And I would say it, 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 when it's repeated and repeated and, and you, you know that's what they mean. Like we should know when it's the difference between someone who's just saying it because they're misinformed or someone who's informed and is deliberately bringing hate. That's when you, you put the pressure on them. I don't think at the time Drew Brees was someone that needed to be pressured. He, he needed someone like Malcolm Jenkins or another teammate to come to him and say like, hey – this is what you can say next time so that it's not taken out of context. I think Drew Brees, he was completely caught off guard when, you know, people started chanting, 
fuck him in, in the streets and when Donald Trump started backing him and saying that he's a great American. That's not at all what he wanted. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely for, you know, the people kind of making it known that they're not okay with, like, statements that people in power make. What I do kind of, like, pump the brakes on, like, the violent protests, I don't think you can solve things with violence, right? Firefighting fire leaves everyone burned, you know? And I think a great example is Martin Luther King Jr., right? Everything he did was peaceful. You know, the, uh, the march on Washington, the march in Selma, right? It was always peaceful because then what happened? The police would use violent action, especially like in Selma, we saw that. The police used violent action. It was all over the news. Innocent people getting attacked by the police because they were simply marching. And it's, that's a huge statement to make. Like, we weren't doing anything wrong. All we were doing was trying to stand up for what we believed in. And we got brutalized and beat up for it. That's why, you know, with the, the looting and the burning stuff and, you know, violence, to me, and, you know, you don't have to agree with me here, but I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is everyone, you know, should look to better each other in a peaceful and educational way where we can all kind of collectively fight the same battle, but we don't need to do it. Like the pen is mightier than the sword, right? And I think that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. Like you can still make your point without being violent. So, Ben, you, you, you just put an interesting thought in my question, in my head, and if you want to go back to Martin Luther King, um, you know, he was the face of the civil rights movement. He's what sticks in everyone's head. He's, uh, he was the face. He was the leader of that. Today, when you think about Black Lives Matter, it's, it's been a huge collective upswell of effort, and that's, that's fantastic. That's great. And I don't have the answer to this question. If anyone does, you're welcome to take a hack at it, but do you think not having a sole leader of the Black Lives Matter movement kind of is what might be holding it back? Like there's no unified message. That's why you get some people who are being violent, but there are peaceful protests and you're sort of getting that discrepancy between people. Do you think maybe having a, a, a another sort of Martin Luther King Jr. type step up and be that person would help? That's a loaded question. I don't, and if yeah. anyone has the answer... And, you know, I, I, I'm asking because I don't have the answer. Um, to, to speak on, like, the looting and, you know, the violence, like, I'll, I'll, agree, I'll agree, like, I don't think that that was the right thing to do. Like, I'm not, I don't, it was, it was obviously the wrong thing to do. But I will be lying if I sat here and say that I don't understand it. Because I do understand. Yeah why those steps had to be taken, you know, like the frustration, the the frustration, you know what I mean? You know, as a black person, like we're always taught to forgive and move on, forgive and move on, forgive and move on, forgive and move on. But this is not, you know, this is not something that we should forgive and move on about. Why are we really, if you kind of really think about it, it's the sad truth. Why are we begging people 
to be nice to us? You know, to have compassion. Why, why does it have to take for the looting and violence for people to kind of listen? This goes back to what I was saying before. Like, anything we do, it's kind of, it's kind of like counterproductive. You know, like, people don't want to see us use our voice or use these platforms to fight against, like, what we believe in. You know what I mean? Like, why did it have to take the looting and violence for people to kind of to kind of listen? Why is it taking these steps right now for people to kind of listen? These things have been going on for years now, you know, uh, peaceful protests and all these types of things. But why now? Why did it finally take George Floyd's death, if we're talking obviously about the looting and the violence, for people to kind of like be like, oh, okay, maybe this is a... Uh, we should kind of we should kind of see you know like on the other side, but as for not having like a leader, I, I strongly believe that the black community is the leader, obviously like of the movement. You know, we're we're taking the stand and trying to trying to fight for us, trying to fight for our equality, trying to educate people in what's right and right, it was wrong is wrong, you know, and we're we're fighting those battles, you know, like every day. You know that you know that's that's just for me. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. And to, and to be the a face of what shouldn't be a controversial movement, but kind of is a, at this point. That's a dangerous spot to be, and that's an extra target on your back, and it puts that person under fire. And it, I think, you know, because there's not necessarily a face of it, and there's not a defiant figure at the top of it. It kind of speaks to the group effort that's going on. No, I mean this is like a team effort right now. And, and there's no, I'm going back to a sports analogy. There's no LeBron at the, at the head of the ship. There's a bunch of, you know, contributing parts, moving parts that, that are all taking place here. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something beautiful about just a large collection of people all standing up and doing what's right. Um, and doing what's right means different things to different people. And I think as time progresses, we'll all sort of get closer to being on the same page about certain things. Um, but what Ty was talking about, uh, about violence, there's a reason Martin Luther King was murdered. There's a reason Malcolm X was murdered. There's a reason Fred Hampton was murdered. It's when the frustration and the anger of the black community finally starts to get to the point where people are using property damage and violence to send a message to the, to the systems of government, to the the systems of power in this country. That's when real, that's when people start to take it seriously. That's the point where you can't ignore it anymore. That's the point when the NFL can't say, uh, it's, you know, what his, he's doing, we can't be 100% on board with it. We recognize, you know, all the, this, this rhetoric. Oh, we recognize that there's a disparity in these communities, but, you know, there are other positive changes that we can do. It's like, no, when people get out there, when there's violence in the streets, when you see these things on the news from both sides, when you see civil unrest, that's when people start to, start to determine that, all right, this is, this is something that we need to work on and we need to work on now. Um, yeah. and I, I don't know if people agree with that or, um, but yeah, it's too loud to ignore at this point. Yeah. It's too definitely. big of an issue to be, we, we can't have another Colin Kaepernick situation where he just gets swept under the rug. We can't have, you know, uh, <coughs> I, I don't have, try. 
They're going to yeah. try to sweep it under the rug. They're, this is this is not new. <laughs> this is going to continue. The the systems will fight as long as they can to hold on to power. But we just need to keep fighting back. We need to keep that energy. We need to keep our efforts going forward. And and when this thing kind of swept the nation and was really a. I'm just going to, not to downplay it or anything, but when it first started, it was a movement on social media and it was a trend and it was a, you know, post a, you know, a, a black picture and say black lives matter and everything at that initial moment, it might've been ignorant of me, but I, my first initial thought was what happens in six weeks when this kind of blows over? What, what happens, you know, are people going to, is this going to last was my, was my main concern. I knew, you know, things on social media usually last like a half hour and then they, <laughs> and then they disappear. That was my main yeah. concern. I, I agree with the movement all, all throughout. My main concern was, okay, you posted something on social media. Now what, you know, that, that was my main concern a few months back, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sort of had that same thought and I think we're, we're starting to see what that is when, cause, you know, earlier protest and support and awareness. Absolutely. Right. But early, earlier Desmond said that like numbers have started to dwindle at rallies and at protests. So it's just, I think it's fair to say that it's sort of losing that initial momentum that it had. So I guess for, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up with this question to you and uh, to Ty and Desmond, what can, I'll say we as final call, but I really mean, you know, how can we as society help further that movement, not let this lose steam, uh, what can we do to help sort of uh, further the cause? Well, A, your social media feeds should be on blast. I mean, you should be posting resources every day. You should be keeping your friends engaged. You should be, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you you should constantly be sending those messages. And you have yeah. to be unafraid to send those messages. Ben and Andrew and Jason, to an extent, you all touched on the fact that you know people in your life you have, whether that's friends like Andrew talked about in high school, you have people in your life who don't necessarily agree with everything you're going to be posting. You need right. to be brave. Everybody needs to be brave and take a stand for what's right. So that's when it comes to social media, that's what you got to do on social media. Yes. Then it moves on to, all right, get your body in the street, follow community organizers on Instagram or follow people on other social media platforms, understand when events are going to be, when you can go to those events, when you're available to go to events. If you can organize your own event, it's not super hard. Anybody can do it. Um, so that's another step. But then the, probably the most important one is getting involved in Government, getting involved in government systems, going to town hall and saying, what are you doing? What positive changes are you making right now in this time when it's most needed? So I would say doing those three things is what everybody can do right now. And vote <laughs> and vote. Vote, yeah. Yes. And vote, yeah. Um, for me, I would, the biggest thing for me would, would be to like the first life lesson that we've learned since we were kids. Um, treat people you know, how you would want to be treated yep. and always remember, like, you know, like you may not walk our shoes, but it's how do I explain it. Like, how would you feel if it was the other way around? Yeah. You know, how, how would you feel if you kind of feared, feared for your life? If you're walking somewhere at, at night in a predominantly white neighborhood, how would you feel just, being a black person that your skin decides if you want to live or die. You know, I, I think that 
people need to realize that like they may be uncomfortable with certain things that have and talking about certain topics and being brave, but always remember like this is the cards that we've been dealt with. That uncomfortable feeling that you may have felt is stuff that we feel our entire lives. Now you kind of see it. It's like, whoa, it's like a real eye opener, you know? And I definitely agree with like Desmond said, you know, you have to be brave and you have to be willing to, to stand on something alone. Even if that means nobody understands like what you're trying to say, you know, um, being brave goes a long way and fighting for what you believe in. It, it goes a long way. And always remember to, to have these uncomfortable conversations, you know, with people and being educated, being informed and always remember that, yeah, you may post this on social media, but what do you, are you actually going to be there in real life to fight for the cause, fight for the change? Um, I think that for me and for the black community, that will, that will go like a long way. Absolutely. Well, Ty, Desmond, uh, I want to speak on behalf of all three of us and say we really appreciate you guys joining us and being here for this. And uh, you are both welcome back anytime. Uh, whenever you feel like just talking sports or you want to do more of this, you are more than welcome to come back on the final call. Uh, so for Jason Snow, for Ben Memoritas, for Desmond Sullivan, for Ty Hawkins, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the final call. Cool.